perhaps you've heard this popular saying or maybe even seen it on a t-shirt. Saying goes, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Well, that very well may be true, but I would like to improve on that and add that then pizza is proof that God is good. God loves us, wants us to be happy, and wants us to share. The beginning of the year is not only a great time to reflect on pizza and your pizza consumption, but it's also a great time to reflect on the past 12 months and discern if you're on track with where you want to be. It's time to check to see if your priorities and your values are correct and if you're living them out. Many of us realize that we need to make a course correction, and so we make New Year's resolutions to challenge us towards positive change. True confession. One year I actually made a New Year resolution to eat more pizza. I, re I really love pizza. I'm on a diet right now where I'm not eating pizza for a little bit, and so I think maybe I, this is why I'm just thinking about it so much. I really miss it. But at Harvard Covenant, we have three organizing principles. Uh, this is just a fancy way of saying that everything we do is around and involving these three things. They're like a filter for us. And two weeks ago, Matt Knapp shared about our first principle, to reach people for Christ. He shared about how we are compelled to share with others about what God has done in our lives. Last week, Michael shared about our second organizing priority, to develop disciples that make disciples. He challenged us to think about how we follow Jesus. And this week, we conclude our series by talking about pizza. <laughs> Just kidding. About living lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. But I have a couple stories about pizza, and I'll mention those along the way. The first one is when I was in college, I loved to skateboard. I went to a Christian college in San Diego called Point Loma, and one of the ministries on campus that had been started a few years before I got there was called Skaters for Christ. The school would give each ministry some funding for that year to help cover um, expenses for events and things like that. But our group didn't spend any money, you know, skateboarding's free, and we just would meet up to do a weekly Bible study, and we'd meet in the student commons, or if there wasn't a room available, we would just sit in the hallway. Uh, so we had all of this money just burning a hole in our pocket, and it's kind of a use it or lose it type of situation. And so we ended up buying just a ton of pizza. In fact, we even filled the entire trunk of a car with pizzas. And we would do this every couple months. And so what we would do is we would buy a ton of pizzas, we'd load them up in the trunk of my buddy's cart, and we'd head downtown. And we'd skate around downtown and tell people on the street about the free pizza and where to meet us. Now, I really appreciate and love organizations that care for those that are hungry and serve them day in and day out, and many times they're doing it all on a very tight budget because there is such a great need. But imagine if you've been living on the streets for a couple years and having lots of soup, lots of PB&J sandwiches, maybe some cold leftover food, and then some punk college kids tell you, tells you that there's free pizza. Oh, I wish I had video of this to show you. We had like, we had homeless people sprinting down the middle of the streets to get to the parking lot where we were at. It was incredible. And those skateboarding pizza missions when I was in college were so eye-opening. I mean, here we were, a dozen college students going to a private Christian school with big hopes and dreams ahead of us, serving hot pizza to people that had no or very little hope and plenty of broken dreams behind them. And listening to them, 
I felt deeply sorry for them and for the hardship that they were living with. I started to grow in compassion and mercy. I not only felt sympathy for them, but I also wanted to do something about it. I wanted to alleviate their suffering. And I love that something as simple as hot pizza was for many the highlight of their day. If you spent any time at all reading the Bible, you know the importance and call of God to live lives of compassion, mercy, and justice, or, or what we call CMJ. One of the most well-known scriptures is Micah 6.8. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There are a lot of ways that churches live out compassion and mercy, including our church. And many of you live out compassion and mercy as well. But what about justice? Well, there's a popular story that illustrates the difference between compassion and justice. So imagine seeing people floating down a river and they're in the water drowning and you wade out in the river to rescue one or hopefully more. That is an act of compassion. But what if as soon as you get back to shore, you see people floating down the river, more of them, and then there's more people and even more. The work of justice is walking upstream to find out why people are falling in the river or maybe being thrown in the river and you work to stop them. Now, even though compassion and justice are different or have different nuances, they both have to do with the river and they're connected because God wants us to work towards justice that is grounded in compassion for those that he has created and loves. And compassion should also lead us to addressing the root causes of problems, not just its symptoms. Another way to see the difference between these is also in scale. Many times the work of compassion and mercy are situational, one-on-one, -on -one, or in a small group. And many times the work of justice addresses a larger issue. There are numerous stories in the scriptures of Jesus showing compassion towards crowds as well as individuals. Even Jesus going to the cross was out of deep compassion for us. One of the most misunderstood passages on this topic is from the lips of Jesus himself. There's a story in all four of the Gospels about Jesus eating dinner at the home of Simon the leper. A woman pours expensive perfume on Jesus, and the, the disciples disprove, saying, it could have been sold at a higher price than the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Once I had someone question why our church was doing things to serve the poor and referenced this section of scripture, he said, hey, Jesus said we will always have the poor with us. Uh, he believed that there wasn't anything we could really do about it. And it was clear that he was implying that it really wasn't something we should be doing. He thought we should be only concerned with saving souls for Jesus. What he didn't realize is that Jesus was quoting a well-known section of scripture from the Old Testament found in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And the audience knew the second half. Jesus didn't need to say the second half. It'd be like if I quoted the first line of a Beatles song, most of you would know the next line. And so in Deuteronomy 
chapter 15, there's a series of instructions regarding the year of canceling debts. And it concludes with this line. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If you've been around the Covenant Church for a while, at some point you've heard about the Covenant's six affirmations. They really strike at the core of who we are as a church movement. One of the affirmations specifically talks about the mission of the church and what it is. The affirmation says, we affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. The early covenanters were known as mission friends, people of shared faith who came together to carry out God's mission both far and near. Mission for them and for us includes evangelism, Christian formation, and ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. We follow Christ's two central calls. The Great Commission sends us out into all the world to make disciples. The Great Commandment calls us to love the Lord our God and our neighbors as ourselves. When we don't embrace the fullness of the gospel and try to only embrace one half of it, we miss out on so much God has for us. For those that only care about one half of the gospel, the culture actually judges as hypocritical eliminating their ability to even share any of it. And it creates even more barriers to sharing faith. But perhaps the most extreme consequence of embracing only half the gospel is that it might actually mean we aren't true followers of Jesus. Jesus even warns about this in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. But when we do embrace the fullness of the gospel, we become more in line with God's mission and God's purposes for our lives. And we do it because we love God, because Jesus went to the cross for us, because God has huge hopes and dreams for this world, and he's called us, the church, to be a part of that. We do it because of God, not the perks. And there's definitely perks. Uh, there is nothing like knowing you've changed someone's life. There's no investment that feels better than knowing you made an impact. In fact, people that serve others suffer less from depression and are generally happier. And by loving and serving others, our horizons get broadened, we get challenged, we get to see others and how they're different, and sometimes how we are surprisingly alike. We become better people because of the experience. Now, some of you need no convincing of the importance of what I'm saying today. Many of you are already serving in some sort of capacity. Some of you don't officially volunteer, but your lifestyle embodies CMJ, and that's incredible. But some of you know it's important, but still aren't engaged. Why does that happen to us? I mean, I get stuck too. And I was thinking about this, and I kind of came up with my five reasons why I get stuck. And maybe you can relate to some of these. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable being with people that are really different from me. What if I say or do something offensive? Or sometimes I doubt that I even have anything to offer the person. Sometimes it's inconvenience. I don't want to drive that far, or I don't want to go out in the rain. I don't want it to take longer than I'm expecting. I'm on a schedule here. There's other times where it's creativity. I don't know what to do. How can I really be helpful? I know pizza's the answer, but what's the question? <laughs> you know, other times it's apathy. 
Sometimes it's winter, sometimes I'm tired, and sometimes I just don't care enough. And my other one, it, my fifth one is bandwidth and scheduling issues. And sometimes I feel like I have less hours in a week than other people. Uh, you know, my, my job's really demanding. With kids, my calendar is full. And when it comes down to it, a lot of times it's just my priorities and the way I've structured my life. Sometimes I get unstuck and actually do something. And one of my favorite CMJ projects I've ever been involved in, of course, involved pizza. Now, the Northwest Furniture Bank used to have a mattress recycling facility, and the mattresses were cut apart and disassembled, the material sorted and recycled, and it was all done by hand, lots of manual labor. The, the furniture bank would hire felons from the prison system that were on work release, and this was their first job integrating back into society. Many felons end up back in prison because it's really difficult to transition back into society. Getting a job and housing are two huge factors in success. So when we heard about how little support and encouragement these guys had in their lives, we decided to get involved. And for a year and a half, Jeff Carr, Signo Unenberg, Jerry Gates, Roy Kistler, Dennis Johnson, and myself would pick up a stack of pizzas from Costco every other Monday, and we would go over to Springback Mattress Recycling during their lunch break. And it was really intimidating at first. Um, the workers didn't know what to think of us. Some of them, I don't think, trusted us. I, I'm guessing some didn't even like us. But all of them liked pizza. And over the course of months, we started to build some trust and rapport with these guys. And every time we left, we would talk about it on the drive back to Gig Harbor. We had different emotions. Sometimes we were frustrated and didn't know if we were really making a difference. But sometimes we were excited because we knew we had been a source of encouragement to one of those guys going through such a hard time. Or sometimes we would leave in sorrow hearing about how one of the guys had made a bad choice and ended up getting sent back to prison before even getting a real taste of freedom. We showed these guys compassion and mercy and if we were able to continue this project longer, I wonder about the ways we could have maybe even engaged in addressing some of the injustices that we learned about. Many of you have stories about living lives of CMJ too. Matt Williams is a young dad in our congregation and he has a two-year-old and a full-time job, yet he's found a way to serve and recently signed up for our Communities in Schools project. Every week he goes to a local school and reads to two kids for an hour. That's it. And that's awesome. Sue and Vic Duckerman are incredible ministry supporters at Harbor Covenant and at Central Campus, they head up our kitchen and food every Sunday. And I've heard some incredible stories from Vic about how on Friday nights, he helps out with the Tacoma Rescue Mission and they drive the rescue van around, they call it the rescue van, it's awesome. They drive it around town and they pass out blankets and food and water and encouragement to people living on the street. Another one of our kitchen crew, Nelson Wan, makes delicious soup so that people on our visitation team and pastoral care team can deliver the soup to all sorts of people that need it. How we engage in CMJ is different for all of us. Some of this comes down to our life stage. I mean, if you're a parent with little kids, your time's fairly limited, but you can still look for easy opportunities that don't take a huge time commitment. I think what Matt is doing and maximizing that one hour is enormous. If you're a young person without kids, it can be easy to get trapped into telling yourself that you'll 
get involved with that later when you're older, when you feel like you have like things more together or, you know, there's a lot of different reasons we, we tell ourselves. But I just want to let you know it doesn't get any easier than right now. It only gets harder. So make the commitment now. Develop that muscle. Maybe recruit a friend to do a project with you. It's fun to serve with others and a great way to spend some time on a weekend. If you're a parent with middle school or high school kids, now's your opportunity to start to serve alongside them. This doesn't have to be an ongoing commitment, but it can. But a series of standalone opportunities throughout the year. Our ministry involvement team has a lot of opportunities for you, and it's such a great way to spend time with your family. If you're an empty nester, especially recently, you might right now feel more sad than successful. I mean, we're designed by God to contribute to the world, and raising kids is one of the best examples of that. But your, your time of contribution isn't over. Instead of just diving into work or constant vacation planning, you now have an opportunity to invest in a wider circle of relationships for the kingdom. And you're uniquely positioned to serve so many different people. If you're retired, you only retire from a paycheck. You don't retire from work. I meet so many people through my other job at the fly shop that don't retire well. It's amazing. They go from being very successful and making such a contribution to just being on vacation all the time. And honestly, many of them are just miserable. And that's just a shame. They didn't plan it well and they're not contributing. God designed us for work and even commanded us to work in the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment is not just about taking the Sabbath off from work, but it's also about contributing and working the other six days. I mentioned earlier that there were five other guys involved in our pizza lunches at Springback Mattress. Well, those other five guys are all 20 to 35 years older than me. Most of the Springback workers had complicated, if not horrible, relationships with their families. So to have a positive, encouraging, and wise older man in their lives speaking good things into their life was such a gift. If I left out your life stage, I'm sorry, but just know that God wants you to live a life of compassion and mercy and justice. Okay, I have three questions. What has kept you from helping those in need? What is your next or first step in living a life of compassion, mercy, and justice? When are you gonna take that step and who are you gonna tell about it for accountability or help? Thank you.